HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, the best-selling Irish single malt in the U.S. The Sexton is an unexpected modern malt for the everyman, rich in hue, approachable in taste, and memorable in character. Learn more at thesexton.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating pride. We speak to the bakers who created a custom wedding cake for Charlie Craig and David Mullins, the couple behind the Masterpiece Cake Shop Supreme Court case. We felt that what happened to Charlie and David was an absolute injustice. Kat Johnson addresses the controversy surrounding Anthony Porosky, Queer Eye's food and wine expert. Many viewers thought these recipes were unsophisticated. And finally, Hannah Forden speaks with nutrition educator Leah Kurtz about the relationship between veganism and queer identity. It's an interesting way in which food can challenge invisible value systems even greater than sexuality does. Listen to Meat and Three, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E this week, and celebrate pride with HRN. Available on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and your favorite listening apps. Are you a startup looking for venture funding? Do you dream about pitching a venture capitalist? If you do, this episode of Tech Bytes is for you. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world at about a million listens a month. And what's on deck today? Today is Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. And today we have a full studio. We're using all the mics for our second pitch show with Charlie O'Donnell of Brooklyn Bridge Ventures. These are always good because you never know what's going to happen and people are excited. (laughs) But before we get to the pitching, we will start this episode like we start all episodes going around the room, introducing our guests and talking about apps, apps that we love, new ones we've just discovered, or maybe the old utility favorite that's been living on your home screen for 11 years now. (laughs) <laughs> Quite a long time. If you were an early adapter in 2007? Sure. Charlie of Brooklyn Bridge Ventures, the first Brooklyn venture fund. He's the founder and managing partner. 
He's a return guest, so now this is kind of like your spot. Yeah. So one app has now made it uh, onto my phone that's relatively new. I've converted from a Google Sheets user to an Airtable user. And, uh, you know, Google Sheets is one of those things where you kind of use it for everything. And, um, you know, I run a lot of events. I help a lot of portfolio companies with recruiting and I build databases around it. And somebody showed me Airtable and it's kind of like Google Sheets on steroids and you can create a lot of tags and stuff a lot of information in it. So it's just pretty, pretty powerful. Is that taken over Google Sheets for you on the day to day? Or is that just a new thing? Is it just when you're mobile? It's, uh, it's, it's moving. It's, it's not great for like just regular spreadsheets, but it's better for the non spreadsheet stuff that people use Google Sheets for. Can you integrate and port your Google Sheet into yes. the app to make it easy? Yeah, it's really flexible. You can even take Airtable information and make calendars out of it and, uh, you know, create forms that go into it and, and just do a lot of different stuff with the information. It's a lot. It's very flexible. And is it more agnostic in that you don't need a Gmail account to use it? Uh, no, you can create a, a, separate, uh, a separate account. I know a lot of people are you know, not necessarily cool with Google having all their data. Yeah. I find I my data is not that interesting. I also feel like it's out of the box already. And that by the time people get concerned about it, somebody's already had it for a long time and right. probably already sold it to your cable company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not private people. It's never private. I don't care how many settings you click, how many things you turn off, how many circles you have. It's never, ever private. If you don't pay for it, you're the product. Exactly. Also joining us today is Matt LeBeau, who's the co-founder of a company called Akua. Matt, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Do you have an app that you like right now? I do, and uh, I feel like I'm the boring guy, because last time I was on, I had the Subway app. You, you, but, uh, you, could, you could be the productivity guy, yeah. so, or the utility guy. <laughs> now it's uh, Google Translate, actually. I've been uh, spending a lot of time with a French speaker, and it's always nice to... I have, I have like a kindergarten-level French... Uh, understanding so I you know I can check on words and uh, find nice little things to say during the day or you know is this a a business French speaker or a um, more personal French speaker because translate is has different requirements yeah no this is this is a personal uh, so a little little easier yes much easier although you can still get into a lot of trouble because there's things like uh, lots of trouble you know if you were to type in je suis chaud that's like I'm hot but (laughs) Literally, but the actual translation of that is, you know, my your place or mine, like you know, what? yeah. <laughs> yes, and then I, I will not recount the stories, but I will give you a tip from my own learning French while living in France experience. Saying the English word with a French accent works a lot of the time. <laughs> However. In the instances that it doesn't, it's bad. So be cautious about just trying to, you know, put a, a little French accent on the Americano word. Just, I'll, I'll keep I'm that just, in mind. Yeah, I, I, I'll, <laughs> I, I can tell you maybe after the show, it was Please. a very embarrassing situation that involved Sunday dinner at a friend's house and their mother. Big downside. Yeah, awful, awful. <laughs> anyway, okay, Google Translate, excellent. And, but back to 
Google also. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So also sitting next to him, we have Romy Rad, co-founder of The Meta Brew, and her co-founder, Natalie Newman. Hi, Thank Jennifer. you for coming. Thank you for having us. Romy, do you have an app that you like right now? Yeah, I'm going to step away from Google for a bit. Um, I've been actually using an app recently for our marketing efforts. It's called Later, uh, L-A-T-E-R. And uh, it really helps small companies um, who don't necessarily have a lot of a big helping hand uh, to schedule their social media posts. And it just kind of uh, takes you a second to post something on Instagram versus having to prep for it every single day. Is it... Um, a new iteration of a company like a Hootsuite? So it's actually free. You have like a mm -hmm. free version where you can uh, post only 30 posts a month, which is technically one post a day. Uh, it helps us with like com companies who have very small budgets for things like this. It actually helps you to just design a whole social media calendar in one day, put it on later, preview how the grid would look like, and then just day by day it will remind you to post and it will take a second literally. Excellent. Yeah. So more efficiency. More efficiency. Natalie, do you have an app that you like right now? Yeah, I actually, I've been using it for about two years, I think, already. It's called Salt, or TriSalt, and it's a maps-based app where you can save and share all your favorite places. So I love to go on like adventures to New York City, and you end up in a bird that you're not familiar with. Um, you can look up the app and see maybe some friends have been to places in that area or you saved a place in that area before from an article um, and you can also follow each other so I have a few friends that I know they, they always pick great spots they have kind of like the same eating interests and um, I can follow them and look up where they go so it's really cool nice salt s-a-l-t yes and which type of phone are you on is it android or ios or both um i'm using it on the iphone so i'm i'm guessing though they are they have for both and is it free it's a free yeah app? it's a free app which means someone's selling your data <laughs> <laughs> likewise for the exactly. efficiency one so as i said at the top of the show this is the second um pitch episode that we've done and charlie has been on he you know, I'll, I'll tell you, Charlie, I'll let you make a little bit of an introduction in terms of what kind of business you do at Brooklyn Bridge Ventures and the types of businesses you're interested in. Sure. So I run an early stage fund. It's actually the first venture fund located here in Brooklyn. And my investments are kind of all over the board. I've invested in uh, a fair amount of tech companies apps, B2B, but also a fair amount of stuff in the food space. So uh, companies like Hungry Root, which is a subscription food company, uh, companies like Arc, who uh, are doing a lot of interesting stuff with vegetables on the retail side, uh, brick and mortar companies like Ample Hills, which is... That's always the one that really surprises me. It's an ice cream <laughs> shop in Brooklyn. It is uh, an ice cream freight train. It is uh, more than just in Brooklyn. We, uh, we announced uh, five new locations. Wow. Um, so we're opening up in, um, I always get this wrong. Uh, let's see, the factory in Red Hook is going to have a location, Astoria. Uh, we announced LA. Um, and then uh, Tribeca and the Upper West Side are in, in the works. That's exciting. So interesting. And Park Slope. So for people who are listening who aren't necessarily entrepreneurs or in the 
the venture business. What do you mean? What's the classification of an early stage company? Sure. So there's no official definition. So I try and create kind of a, an easy sort of hard and fast rule. And that's I invest in companies that have yet to raise $750,000 in a previous round. And the thinking behind that is I, I want to be a part of the first million dollars spent on this company. I want to be around for that part of the journey. I think there's a lot of groundwork that gets laid in the formative stages of a company that is, is pretty tough to undo later on. So you always want to get somebody sort of on their best practices as, as early as possible. So rather than, you know, try and create some new nomenclature around seed, pre-seed, all these angel things that you may have heard of, I just say, hey, if, you've, if you haven't yet raised $750,000 before, um, you know, feel free to come and pitch if you're a New York-based company. New York-based company, pre-$750,000 investment, mm-hmm. and that's kind otherwise of... It's otherwise, it's pretty, pretty all easy. over the board. All right. So what we are going to do is we have Akua and Metabrew, who are both here to pitch Charlie. Each company will have five minutes to pitch him. I'm going to set the timer, and then Charlie will have about 10 minutes to ask them questions and give them feedback. Um, he doesn't really know anything about the companies. Um, we've done that intentionally. Um, Except that I've now consumed one of their products. Exactly. Well, it's, it's, it's within the confines of the show. Yes. yes. <laughs> so prior to walking into the studio. The first show that we did uh, with Charlie for funding was episode 135. It was earlier this year. And we had companies that were kind of theoretical software platform informational ideas um one was on a was about uh, creating a Diamonds. commodities exchange for seaweed one was um a diet sort of like marketplace resource where you create a profile and then you can dive into different types of diets with different kinds of experts and as you evolve your eating you don't have to join a new group um so that was interesting so this show what we decided to do is we decided to focus on food products, stuff you can actually eat. And because Charlie is a well-known cereal triathlete, we decided to stay in the like healthy food category. So we're going to take a quick break to find out who the amazing sponsors are of this show. And when we come back, we'll hear the pitches. Stay with us. I'm Souther Teague of Moria Margo and co-host of The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, a new and unexpected modern malt for the everyman. The whiskey is made from 100% Irish malted barley, triple distilled for smoothness in copper pot stills, and consciously aged for four years in Oloroso sherry butts. My favorite part about the Sexton is that sherry influence from those Oloroso sherry butts. They're, they're large sherry uh, barrels that have been used. And then the, uh, the whiskey gets aged in them for four years, giving them this sort of nutty, almost savory quality. Um, the copper pot still makes for an extremely smooth finish. Um, I like it in a highball or just neat. Uh, every time I have a sip, I, I want another one. So next time you're gathered with friends or posted up at your favorite bar, reach for the Sexton, the best-selling Irish single malt in North America. You can learn more at thesexton.com. So- 
Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly show on Heritage Radio Network, where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today, we have a very exciting show. We have Charlie O'Donnell from Brooklyn Bridge Ventures, who is going to listen to two pitches from two different food startup companies. Very exciting. So first up on the mic is going to be Matt LeBeau who is one of the co-founders of a company called Akua. If you want to check them out while you're listening, they are A-K-U-A dot C-O. And on social media, they are at Life Akua. So we're going to give Matt 10 minutes, or I'm sorry, five minutes to pitch Charlie, and then Charlie's going to have 10 minutes of Q&A. So I'm going to hit the timer because I'm very bad at interrupting people because I want everybody to finish their sentence. I'll, I'll get along so. with you. Okay, here we go. You're off. All right. So I'm Matt from Akua, and we are a kelp-based CPG company. Uh, We are looking to make healthy, delicious, and environmentally friendly snacks. And our first product is kelp jerky. And uh, kelp jerky is going to come out in three flavors. We're going to have barbecue Thai and sesame sea salt. And uh, we get a lot of questions, and one one is why, why kelp jerky? So we launched with kelp jerky because jerky is a very understandable format, whether you are a plant-based eater or whether you are someone who eats meat. Uh, further, it's very shelf-stable, which is great for shipping and storage uh, costs. The other question we very frequently get is, why kelp? And, uh, you know, kelp has a lot of great benefits. Um, first, it's very healthy. It's full of calcium, vitamin C, magnesium, B vitamins, iodine, and I could kind of just go on and on and on. Uh, so very, very healthy. And um, it's also very good for the environment. So growing kelp helps to strip a lot of uh, carbon and nitrogen out of the water. And it's uh, actually a regenerative uh, farming. So when you plant kelp into the water, you're helping to restore these waters and bring shellfish and fish back to those areas. The third is that the growth of kelp on the East Coast is great for um, the local economy. It puts a lot of out-of-work fishermen back to work. Um, it rejuvenates some of these local economies, and that's something that's, you know, again, also very important to us. Um, and, you know, what we end up with in kelp jerky is a high-protein, low-sugar, high-fiber, soy-free, plant-based uh, jerky snack. And we will be launching this product uh, late Q3, uh, mostly online, but we'll be doing some select retail stores on both the East and West Coast. And uh, the focus is really in doing the largely online sales is we want to really gather a lot of data, understand our customers, their buying uh, habits, and also really make sure that we get our, produ- our production in line before we try to expand to a larger retail footprint. Um, and that's kind of my pitch. Doesn't okay. need the whole five minutes. Doesn't need the whole five minutes. He only needed two minutes and 15 seconds. Okay, great. Cool. Extra time. So uh, my first question is, so non-meat jerky is not new, right? No. And so I'd be curious as to, are there examples of market successes just in the category as a whole? Like if I... Can an investor say, oh, this is a category where there's wind at your back because clearly other non-meat jerkies have been successful and there's a established demand for it? Sure. I think that you know our goal is to really grow a lot more than some of the other products have, but you have, you've seen a lot of success with coconut jerky. There's some mushroom jerkies that are getting launched, which are doing quite well. 
Um, and I think that overall people are looking to really find a lot more healthy plant-based food snacks. Um, yeah. So who's the kind of category leader? I've had the mushroom mushroom jerky, but I got to admit, I I remember what the package looks like. I can't, I'm not sure I remember the brand. You know, I think if we look in over terms of overall sales, there's a lot of there's some soy based jerkies which do pretty well. I think okay. Primal is one. Um, oh yeah, that was it, Primal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. I would like to be clear that, you know, we're really trying to differentiate ourselves in that we are soy-free, high-protein, and low-sugar. I think that's, you know, to me as a plant-based snacker, Mm -hmm. is something that is incredibly hard to find. Gotcha. And you're going, it sounds like you're leaning towards uh, more of of an online strategy. Um, Does your team have any expertise in you know, developing an online brand, customer acquisition, and, and all of that stuff. What's the setup of the team in your background? Sure. So, you know, right now the team is three members. There's myself. I come from a investor relations, financial modeling, banking background. Uh, and then we have Courtney Myers, who does a lot of our... Oh, bre- yeah, I know. I, that's why the company sounded familiar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she, who does our branding, and um, she has a lot of experience with, uh, you know, tech marketing and branding, but also recently with a food company uh, helping with their online customer acquisition. Gotcha. Cool. And then uh, I don't want to leave out Morgan. Morgan's our kelp farmer based up in Maine, and she helps really with our supply chain and and helping us find our kelp. And does the process lend itself to being cost competitive from a production standpoint? Is is kelp jerky sort of in the the, is it is it a premium product or is it sort of priced like other jerkies? When you, well, so we'll be at five ninety nine for a one and a half ounce package, right? And um, that will put you above some of the mass market jerkies. It'll put you roughly in line with the bottom end of the premium meat jerkies and below a lot of the plant based jerkies. So kind of right in the middle. More or less, you could say that. Gotcha, um, and. What are the goals? What's the ask, first of all? I mean, you know, this is a, a pitching show. So how much money gets you what kind of success? Sure. So currently we're raising a $500,000 uh, convertible note. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have about just over half of that filled at the moment. And the purpose of that will largely be to buy our first year's worth of kelp, which we've, which we've done already, uh, and then to fund the production at our code packer, uh, purchase in our packaging, and that it'll it can it'll handle about three hundred thousand units. Gotcha. Are there any acquisitions in this space uh, that have that have happened that have uh, of note? Because these companies, they're new jerky companies that have uh, been around. I remember uh, actually when I was at First Round Capital, one of the founders that we backed for a tech company was also the co-founder of Perky Jerky, the caffeinated mm-hmm. uh, brand that I, that I think is doing well, but I, it's been around for a while and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm not sure the appetite for other companies to acquire something like this. You know, you've seen a handful of the meat-based jerkies uh, be acquired recently. In the plant-based space, I don't think, you know, the plant-based jerky space, mm-hmm. there hasn't really been a ton of acquisitions. I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's still quite a young space and somewhere where I think that, you know, we're aiming for five to seven years to to find someone that will 
you know, come call. Is your customer a jerky eater looking for something healthier or a healthy snacker new to jerky? Great question. And I think it's kind of split down the middle. I think our, you know, our initial market is plant-based snackers who are looking for something just a little healthier than Mm -hmm. what's available on the market right now. Uh, A lot of moms looking to put something healthy in their children's lunchbox. That said, you know, I kind of came to this the other way around in terms of I I am a, you know, healthy eater looking for more plant-based options. And that's how how I became so excited about the product. I think that we don't want to, you know, we are a plant-based product, but we don't want to position ourselves as someone who says, you know, just because you like meat, you can't eat this. You know, it's it's very good for you, and it tastes great. Are you going into doing uh, subscriptions? Like when I come on the site, and you're selling, what what's the what's the thing you're trying to get me to to do? Is it, it sign up for buying on a regular basis, or, or or I guess does that matter because the shelf life is so long that maybe I should just buy a bunch and keep them in the closet until I run out. Sure. So we will have a subscription um, product called the Kelp Club, and uh, you'll get some different, you know, information on new SKUs that come out, and there'll be some some benefits to joining it. But you know, the, the shelf life we'll we'll launch with is about six months, and then we think once the tests come out, we'll be able to get it to a year. Um, so that it, it does make sense just to buy a, a whole bunch or or sign up for a subscription. And do you need? funding to launch right now we can get the product out the door with the money we have i think that what the you know finishing out the round does is it enables to us to really push push on the branding and marketing a little bit more uh it allows us to a lot more in-store demos because this is you know a touch of a niche product mm-hmm. um and it allows you know us just a little more run room uh before we need to raise money again gotcha Cool. I think. Should I give feedback or? Absolutely. I'm giving you. I'm. I'm giving Charlie a, a big, wide-eyed smile because sometimes it's very hard to be the host and just let it take its course. <laughs> um, so I think the the first thing that pops into my mind um, is, I think a lot of food entrepreneurs in general love clearly love their product, and there are a lot of really cool products like this is a product i would consume like i you know there are lots of times where i'm sort of on the run i i pop my head into a store and i say okay well what can i eat that's you know going to be fast and convenient but also healthy and i i don't want chips or things that require too many hands to eat and and so this works for me But, but as an investor there's a little bit of a leap there and say okay well i might like this product but is the plan something that's going to you know make sense and i think um you know a food investor is probably uh less passionate about the product than they are about you know how am i going to make my money on on this thing and 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 so customer acquisition retail channels all that sort of stuff i think it's it's something that you know in another meeting because it's hard to do in a five minute Mm -hmm. pitch but i think you got to tease a little bit that there's some path to getting this out in the market there's some advantage because you're trying to be 
you know, the top of what somebody's seeing. So retailer pre-sales, right? That that would be something where you could say, hey, you know, we've been out and and -and so-and-so's agreed to carry us or tried a version of our product or all that sort of stuff or, um, you know, mailing list, any kind of proxy uh, because, um, you know, or or even, you you know, somebody on the team, an advisor to say, hey, you know, we, we got this person who you know, um, launched the, this particular marketing effort, especially with real hard data, right? Like I know Courtney, she's super creative and, you know, but for an investor who, you know, may not know, or even from my perspective is, you know, hearing some like, oh, you know, she took this brand from, you know, X amount of revenue to here and did it with this kind of campaign or whatever. Uh, an investor really needs to trust that, you know, the dollars I put in are going to have positive ROI of a, a certain scale and get into the sort of economics and channels a little bit is really helpful. It, I, I'm debating whether or not I should throw my two cents onto the table. Um, but my two cents are knowing both what I know about the company Akua and knowing what I know just about the pitch process in general, there are a couple of things that I think would be relevant, perhaps. And Charlie, you can tell me if I'm right or not. Sure. The first thing that Matt didn't mention is that they are really anticipating being a vertically integrated company where they're going to be participating in the farming and the sourcing and then taking that product and bringing it all the way to market. So when you become something that's vertically integrated, you can look at a point of view of having greater control over pricing, greater control over product. It's a fairly new market. Um, and then that also gives them the opportunity for perhaps greater efficiencies and scale and things like that. So I don't know if talking about the integration from farm to package as a part of the business model um, has an impact on the way you perceive it. I think it. that's probably a little bit more of a later stage thing. A lot of the ways that, that food companies get up and off the ground is you just start out with like somebody else is making the thing because right. you can't, you know, not a lot of people can start out with like the whole, you know, but they are. Yeah, they no, 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 I, I, I get that. Yeah. But um, the toughest thing, the thing that most companies struggle with is finding a market for their stuff, right? And the assumption is that either right off the bat or over time economics will get better they'll start to take in-house things that um you know maybe they have somebody else doing um sort of like ample hills like they you know they're they're instead of going out they're building a factory and their margins will get better and, and all that sort of stuff um but the biggest worry is you know can you cut through the snack aisle is a big one, big, right? Big, And, you know, maybe there's not a lot of stuff just like this, but as a consumer, there's just a lot of choices. And, and people, some people do cut through. And so one um, feedback I would give, too, is it sounded like when, you know, I, I tossed up the, you know, hey, who else is in the category or what else is out there? I think a lot of entrepreneurs are hesitant to bring other stuff out there because there's a perception that it's maybe like shows it's too competitive, but I'd actually rather see, Oh, somebody else has won in that space. This is a hole worth fishing in. Right. And then we can talk about interest. Yeah. Oh, the market's big enough for multiple or, you know, here's why it's different or here's why we think, you know, I mean, when I backed hungry root, Blue Apron was already out there, right? right? So I knew that, like, 
getting meals delivered to you and getting food delivery. There's demand. There's demand, right? And then secondarily, we had a conversation about why this is different. It doesn't take 45 minutes. It takes eight minutes from package to mouth. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. Why Mm -hmm. is that important? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think uh, examples of success in a space with some hard numbers is helpful to entice investors. I would have also been curious to know what the go-to-market plan was. If it was website direct to consumer, if it's to go to the big retailers, if it's to go to snack boxes, if it's to go to, you know, vending machines or bodegas, like what that, what the roadmap was initially and then beyond. And also, I mean, I know that you raised your first funding on a crowdfunding platform. So you already have a group of people who are interested, who are going to get some of the first run. And so I would have been, I would have been curious about that also, just to know what the how what the channels were tough to get everything in five minutes (laughs) yeah totally um so on to the next pitch which is romy and natalie and their company is called meta brew we're drinking it right now um i'm gonna set the timer for five minutes if you need it or not and then we'll take the extra and add it to the 10 and then go go ahead Hi, so we're Metabrew. We make consciously caffeinated superfood drinks out of plant-based ingredients. Five years ago, um, Natalie and I moved to New York from Germany and Lebanon. We met at Parsons doing a master's in essentially entrepreneurship. We had late night classes and caffeine was our enemy number one. Uh, Due to Natalie's low heart rate, she used to drink eight coffees a day, no joke. And I have a very sensitive stomach, uh, so caffeine made me sick. Uh, We were really thirsty for a clean source of energy, uh, but when we looked for a solution, most energizing beverages we found contained tons of caffeine, sugar, and artificial ingredients, and they were anything but uplifting. Uh, We weren't alone. In fact, 83% of people we surveyed said they want to cut down on caffeine without cutting down on the benefits of it. So we set out to solve this. After a year of experimenting and gathering feedback, We found this blend that helped the both of us. It gave us a nice steady energy boost that kept us running for hours. No jitters, no crashing, no stomach complaints. And all of this was 70% less caffeine than, for example, a Starbucks latte. Metabro really changed our lives. All of a sudden, I could drink coffee, uh, I could stay alert and um, channel my hyperactivity to get things done. And uh, I had the energy to be more extroverted and actually talk to people and only live on one Metabro a day now. So Metabro works by combining a little bit of caffeine from coffee or tea with superfoods. Uh, we use MCT oil. It's a healthy fat from co- coconuts that extends the effect of caffeine or baobab, an African superfruit with prebiotic benefits. Our brews are light, they're hydrating, they give you this nice energy boost, uh, they have the super smooth texture and a nutty fruity flavor. They're great for a morning boost, uh, those big thinking times, or as you probably know, if you're going for a six mile speed training and you want something to get you out of the house, this is just perfect. Um, So healthy is trending, people are changing their beliefs about food, massive health trends are influencing how we shop. The U.S. functional beverage market is expected to grow to $37 billion in the next three years, and 63% of millennials already use food and beverages to improve their health. That shows that we're onto something big. The ready-to-drink space in particular is uh, really hot right now, and a lot of investment dollars are being poured in. If you look at our competition, Rebel, Bulletproof, they've raised millions of dollars, and that helped them to become category leaders in just a few years. 
We offer the first tea with MCT oil to market in the US and our products are unique because they're plant-based, they're never heated, they are have no added sugar or funky tasting sweeteners, they are simply clean, there's no gums, no acids added to it. And they give that really nice feel-good energy that everybody can benefit from while tasting really good. Um, we currently sell Metabrew on our website, themetabrew.com, uh, through partnerships and health food stores in New York City. We decreased our margins by 30%, which allowed us to start working with two local distributors in New York. We are pre-approved pre for a national distributor and then conversations with um, big retail chains. Um, the last two years have been really, really exciting for us. We created a trademark brand. We gained over 18,000 followers across our social media. We sold over 11,000 units. Um, we were surprised by endorsements from health celebrities like Chef Chloe. And what we're most proud about is our really, really loyal customers. Um, Medavu just gets you hooked. Uh, Romy and I were a female-powered team. <laughs> Before Parsons, Romy created brand strategies for major CPG companies like LVMH, while I have product development experience and have worked with an energy shot startup. We are backed by a great network of uh, advisors in the food industry. We just recently graduated from the Growth Accelerator Food Future Co. and came runner-up at a Harvard startup pitch competition. Um, Bootstrapping for the last two years has really shaped our business minds, but we've only been able to grow organically. With funding, we think that we can really go big. We can finally release our new packaging design and further flavors that we have down the line. We have it all. We have the team, we have the market demand, we have the innovation, but most of all, we are determined to do this. We're even ready to volunteer for your kayaking program. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you say? Cool. So I just had the tea. I'm, I'm not a big coffee uh, person uh, for the taste. I'm not against caffeine in any way. Um, the tea was good. Um, it, it was tasty. Um, so my, my big question, um, there's nothing like numbers to ruin a great story. And I think... You know, for a, for a bootstrapped uh, entrepreneur, the reality is you just don't have a lot of resources to uh, put into marketing team and all that sort of stuff. Um, that being said, uh, VCs are looking for exceptions, right? That that uh, the the companies that somehow get pulled into the market, and so you know this um, retails for. How much? Four ninety nine. Four ninety nine, right? So, at eleven thousand units, you're you know in the last two years have a little under sixty grand or so in, in revenues, and you guys have been doing this uh, while you're students and you know lots of other things going on. I guess my question would be for somebody who is, I think in the beverage category, there's a lot of stuff around momentum and trying to figure out where there's a lot of stuff that you know looks pretty similar i would bet you that for most beverage investors if you put a bunch of things across the table and what didn't say how much anything had sold i don't know how good people would be at picking out oh that's going to be the winner versus that one or whatever I mean, maybe some people have that skill but most are kind of looking for momentum and so what 
how do you convince an investor that, you know, despite being out two years and, and with uh, revenues that are, you know, good for a side project, but not necessarily uh, a train that's quite leaving the station yet, um, that money can make those numbers in the millions very soon? Um, sure. So from a, from a production operations perspective, we have a co-packer. We can scale with them mm-hmm. to about $2.7 million worth of revenue a year. Um, so the, the operations, as everything's set up, we have partnerships already set up that we need to have funding to be able to support mm-hmm. um, in order to start. Um, which so those are helpful, like those partnerships. Is, is there an estimate of how much they're worth to you as a, as a company? Yeah, we think that we can probably make um, $700,000 in the next 15 months if we get funding mm-hmm. uh, through those partnerships and then grow, obviously, from there. Gotcha. And um, those are the values of the retail, the underlying retail partnerships. Uh, and so you're, you're bottlenecked because of production, so people are, are asking to to carry you more or they're ready to carry you more, but you you need the money to produce so, more? Yeah. So we, we technically right now, we have to sell whatever we have, then collect the money, and then make more, which creates production gaps um, a lot, unfortunately, mm-hmm. which is not very good. Um, and, and we can only make so many. So we've started with making 80 bottles um, a batch. Yeah. And now we grow it, grew it to like five thousand bottles a batch, but mm-hmm. it takes time. Every time you have to wait for the checks, and then some of them never come, or they take months and months and months to arrive. So it's 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 a frustrating pro- um, process. And also, if something would ever go wrong, I don't know a, tr- a truck breaking down. We have insurance, but we would die before the insurance kicks in. Right. Um, you said your customers are loyal. Um, they can order direct? Yeah, yeah, through our website. And is it on, can they order a subscription? Yes. Um, how many, do you have a sense of how many people who have ordered convert to actually getting it on subscription? So the subscription is not something that we really push for because a lot of people want to drink this every day. They just order more. So from, from experience, we've seen people, they want to kind of manage their uh, quantity themselves Mm -hmm. Um, but we have about half the people that ever ordered have ordered again Mm -hmm. um, a little more and we have that's a good stat and we have uh, a a small but really loyal group of people who uh, they they got we give them our phone number and they can text us Mm -hmm. whenever they they want more they text us every week (laughs) on two cases and and they also text us really funny just uh, when we're out (laughs) gotcha um, so I think with something with functional foods, I think subscription is going to be you know really important, right? Because part of the pitch of the sort of functional stuff is this is going to be a part of somebody's lifestyle, right? Um, and in fact, that was there's a company out there called uh, Dirty Lemon mm-hmm. that um, you know part of their pitch, uh, and they were very successful in fundraising was momentum it was you know this using text for to get 
you know, subscription and all that sort of stuff. And I think the thing that pushing subscription helps with is, is actually getting financing, not necessarily from the equity side, but even from the debt side, from, you know, if you can show someone that, hey, here's, here's a certain amount of people that have just, you know, they're going to be paying for this. Um, I think your, your best near-term solution, actually, to break up the production issue uh, might be to find somebody who's willing to give you a credit facility um, so you can, you can actually make more. Because and, and, I think your best opportunity to get equity financing is to show greater revenue momentum, but you can't show greater revenue momentum unless you get through the, the production yeah. side of that. But that's a, that's a solvable problem economically. There are people out there who would give you, and maybe even just individuals, right? There are different types of individuals. There are some investors who want to take equity risk and are okay with getting a zero. And there are other investors who say, you know what, I, I, I see you've got orders. I see you have a lo- loyal audience and you know, my money's sitting in a bank account and it's not making any interest. And so, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, give you some kind of loan or something like that just to, you know, break out of that bad cycle and to, to show that like, yeah, we we don't we don't we're not bottlenecked by our production. The, the demand is pulling us into the market because, um, you know, when you say something in a pitch, you know, investors, we take small little sound bites because we were this whole thing, right? It's like five minutes to do try and guess what the next seven years would be like investing in this company, and and when you say things like, oh, that's something we haven't pushed, it's like right, but some other entrepreneur comes in and says, oh my God, everything is melting because we're getting pulled so much into this market. Stuff's going off the rails. We can't handle the demand. That's the person who winds up getting fundraising, uh, funding, even though it is completely reasonable to say, well, hey, you know, obviously things go better when we focus on them, right? there's the unreasonable company with the ridiculous story of like how did you even generate that demand that tends to get the uh, investor interest because I do think you have a, uh, a a cool product here in a in a growing market um, the other thing I would say is I'd be curious and I don't know the answer I feel like the bulletproof I don't was the did the book come out before the brand? I, I, I don't really know how that story, like the success story of it, uh, or why those two brands, but uh, similar to the, the prior feedback is telling that story of here's how these companies achieve success, and here's some of the early indications that like we're sort of in that same market, because because of those companies, there's probably eight other people in a sort of similar you know, story and the category that you can, you know, point to as to why you'll be the ones to stand out. Um, so similar ask, excuse me if you said it, but like, was there a dollar amount that you, no, you didn't say a dollar amount. Okay. So rule number one of a pitch, you have to make an ask, right? Cause I can't say yes or no, unless you put it. So how much money gets you to what kind of goals? 
Um, so we're asking for 450k. Okay. Um, that should be 15 to 18 months of runway. Mm -hmm. um, half of it is going to go through funding, uh, through to production, <laughs> to funding our our, our bottles, uh, our new designs. So we have new designs coming up. Um, uh, about the next big chunk is to supporting sales through our partners, um, being able to being able to do demos in stores, um, supporting sales in outside regions of, of New York City. Um, then some is going to go towards obviously salaries. We want to hire. Uh, we have three people that we would like to hire, um, and then the rest is online marketing, trade shows, uh, certifications like vegan, uh, kosher. Gotcha. Um one little last bit of, of feedback. I think investors like psychologically satisfying round numbers. And so, you know, the world is not so predictable that like 450 is exactly the number, but like 500 is, you know, you wouldn't know what to do with that, right? Mm -hmm. So I think sticking to, you know, these like whole number, uh, you know, kind of amounts, but also on the revenue side, right? If If you could raise a little more, it's like so for example with your partnerships if they go really well could you do a million dollars in revenue and not 750 is it even possible for sure yeah for sure <laughs> right so why not say that 500 grand gets you a million dollar revenue a year it's possible mm -hmm. right i mean on average startups don't work right so we're not talking about averages this is all about what's possible and i think you know the excitement that investor will get to like I'm not excited about 750 but I'm excited about a million dollars and it's it's small but it's in the range of possibilities so I think that's that's important such great feedback oh, thank you thank you such great feedback it makes me think that you know you should write the book on pitching. <laughs> <laughs> I write a lot. I don't have the attention span to put it all together in a book. If you can find a or good editor a, or have a podcast. Yeah, there you go. Um we are out of time. Um, Charlie, do you have any last final thought or wrap up? I think our host did excellent timekeeping in comparison to Thank our you. prior rooms. <laughs> well, you know, practice, you know, practice makes progress. Um, I listened to all the episodes and I listened to all the episodes over the course of the last week or two to, you know, make some changes and try and make it better this time around. So to recap, um, Charlie O'Donnell, if you want to follow him and his triathlete adventures on social media, he is at CEONYC. His company is BrooklynBridge.VC. And you can follow them on social media at BB.VC. Um, if you want Charlie to listen to your pitch and help fix it, he runs a series of events called Fix Your Pitch for Good. You pay him, and then he pays the charity of his choice, typically um, his entry into another race. The next one coming up is June 20th. Um, companies, eight companies will get to pitch him and hear his feedback. It's a $200 donation with 100% of it going to charity. I think the charity for this one is Script Ed. Script Ed, yeah, I'm running the tri New York City Triathlon for them. Wow. Helping teach high school kids how to code. He's a busy guy. That's great. Kids kids coding. If you want to listen to more of him, he was also on episode 123, Get Funded with Brooklyn Bridge Ventures, and episode 135, which was our last pitch show. If you are interested in seaweed jerky, go to akua, A-K-U-A dot co, C-O. You can follow them on social media at Life Akua. 
Um, Matt, I couldn't find any personal social media for you, so I don't know if you want to call out your handle if people want to follow your uh, French adventures. It's just Spicy Lebo. Spicy Lebo. Yeah. I like spices. My last name's Lebo. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like there's more backstory there, but we don't have time for it. A lot of French translation. <laughs> APC. Um, or maybe he meant showed. Uh, we also have themetabrew.com. That's M-E-T-A-B-R-E-W. You can follow them on social media, at themetabrew. If you want to follow Rami, she is at Rami, R-O-M-Y-0-0-1. And if you want to follow Natalie, she is at natty.newman, N-A-T-I-E dot N-E-W-M-A-N. If you want to follow me, I'm at TechBytesHRN. We're HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are here every Thursday at 11 a.m. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, Radio, Spotify, and most podcasting platforms. If you like the show, come back and visit us. If you love the show, subscribe, download, and leave us a five-star review. If you absolutely can't live without it, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and make a donation today. Maybe what you're going to spend on your super coffee today or your afternoon snack. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and we keep the lights on and the mics hot with the generosity of our underwriters, grants, and listeners like you. I'm Jennifer Leitzi and this is Tech Bites. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.